Section 28 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 3 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 43 The Civil War in America, Part 1. Civil war broke out in the United States. The long threatened had come to pass. Abraham Lincoln's election as president brought about by the party divisions of the southerners among themselves seemed to the south the beginning of a new order of things in which they and their theories of government would no longer predominate they felt that the peculiar institution on which they believed their prosperity and their pride to depend was threatened with extinction and they preferred secession to such a result in truth the two sets of institutions were incompatible a system founded on slavery could not be worked much longer in combination with the political and social institutions of the northern states. The struggle was one for life or death between slavery and the principles of modern society. When things had come to this pass, it is hardly worth stopping to consider what particular event it was which brought about the actual collision. If the election of Mr. Lincoln had not supplied the occasion, something else would have furnished it those who are acquainted with the history of the great emancipation struggle in america know very well that if the south had not seceded from the union some of the northern states would sooner or later have done so every day in the northern states saw an increase in the number of those who would rather have seceded than give further countenance to the system of slavery it was a peculiarity of that system that it could not stand still it could not rest content with tolerance and permission to hold what it already possessed it must have new ground new fields to occupy it must get more or die most of the abolitionists would rather themselves secede than yield any more to slavery we are chiefly concerned in this history with the american civil war in so far as it affected england it becomes part of our history by virtue of the alabama question and the treaty of washington it is important to introduce a short narrative of the events which led to the long dispute between england and the united states a dispute which brought us more than once to the very edge of war and which was only settled by the almost unparalleled concession of the washington treaty the southern states led by south carolina seceded their delegates assembled at montgomery in alabama on february fourth eighteen sixty one to agree upon a constitution a southern confederation was formed with mr jefferson davis as its president mr davis announced the determination of the south to maintain its independence by the final abitrament of the sword if passion or lust of dominion should cloud the judgment or influence the ambition of the north this announcement was made on february eighteenth eighteen sixty one and on march fourth following the new president of the united states entered formally into office mr lincoln announced that he had no intention to interfere with the institution of slavery in any state where it existed that the law gave him no power to do so even if he had the inclination but that on the other hand no state could upon its own mere motion lawfully get out of the union 
that acts of violence against the authority of the united states must be regarded as insurrectionary or revolutionary there was still an impression in this country and to some extent in america that an invitation was thus held out by mr lincoln to the southern states to enter into peaceful negotiations with a view to a dissolution of partnership but if there was any such intention in the mind of mr lincoln or any possibility of carrying it into effect all such contingencies were put out of the question by the impetuous action of south carolina this state had been the first to secede and it was the first to commit an act of war the traveller in south carolina as he stands on one of the keys of charleston and looks toward the atlantic sees the skyline across the harbour broken by a heavy-looking solid square fort which soon became famous in the war this was fort sumter a place built on an artificial island with walls some sixty feet high and eight to twelve feet thick it was in the occupation of the federal government as of course were the defences of all the harbours of the union it is perhaps not necessary to say that while each state made independently its local laws the federal government and congress had the charge of all business of national interest customs duties treaties the army and navy and the coast defences the federal government had therefore a garrison in fort sumter and when there seemed a possibility of civil war they were anxious to reinforce it a vessel which they sent for the purpose was fired at from a great island in the harbour by the excited secessionists of south carolina and on april twelfth the confederates who had erected batteries on the mainland for the purpose began to bombard the fort the little garrison had no means of resistance and after a harmless bombardment of two days it surrendered and fort sumter was in the hands of the secessionists of south carolina the effect of this piece of news on the mind of the north has been well and tersely described by a writer of the time it was as if while two persons were still engaged in a peaceful discussion as to some claim of right one suddenly brought the debate to a close by giving the other a box on the ear there was an end to all negotiation thenceforward only strokes could arbitrate four days after president lincoln called for seventy-five thousand men to volunteer in re-establishing the federal authority over the rebel states president davis immediately announced his intention to issue letters of mark president lincoln declared the southern ports under blockade on may eighth lord john russell announced in the house of commons that after consulting the law officers of the crown the government were of opinion that the southern confederacy must be recognized as a belligerent power on may thirteenth the neutrality proclamation was issued by the government warning all subjects of her majesty from enlisting on land or sea in the service of the federals or the confederates supplying munitions of war equipping vessels for privateering purposes engaging in transport service or doing any other act calculated to afford assistance to either belligerent this was in fact the recognition of the southern confederacy as a belligerent power and this was the first act on the part of england which gave offence in the north it was regarded there as an act of unseemly and even indecent haste 
as evidence of an overstrained anxiety to assist and encourage the southern rebels this interpretation was to some extent borne out by the fact that the english government did not wait for the daily expected arrival of mr adams the new american minister to hear what he might have to say before resolving on issuing the proclamation yet it is certain that the proclamation was made with no unfriendly motive it was made at the instance of some of the most faithful friends the northern cause had on this side of the atlantic conspicuous among whom in recommending it was mr w e forster if such a proclamation had not been issued the english government could not have undertaken to recognize the blockade of the southern ports if there was no bellum going on the commerce of the world could not be expected to recognize president lincoln's blockade of charleston and savannah and new orleans international law on the subject is quite clear a state cannot blockade its own ports it can only blockade the ports of an enemy it can indeed order a closure of its own ports but a closure of the ports would not have been so effective for the purposes of the federal government as a blockade it would have been a matter of municipal law only an offender against the ordinance of closure could be only dealt with lawfully in american waters an offender against the decree of blockade could be pursued into the open sea in any case mr lincoln's government chose the blockade they had previously announced that the crews of confederate privateers would be treated as pirates but their proclamation of the blockade compelled them to recede from that declaration it was indeed a threat that modern humanity and the public feeling of the whole northern states would never have allowed them to carry out and which mr lincoln himself whose temper always leaned to mercy would never have thought of putting into effect the proclamation of a blockade compelled the federal government to treat privateers as belligerents it could not but compel foreign states to admit the belligerent rights of the southern confederation in england the friends of the north or some of them at least were anxious that the recognition should take place as quickly as possible in order that effect should be given to the president's proclamation the english government had trouble enough afterwards to resist the importunity of those at home and abroad who thought they ought to break the blockade in the interests of european trade they could have no excuse for recognizing it if they did not also recognize that there was a war going on which warranted it therefore whether the recognition of the southern confederates as belligerents was wise or unwise timely or premature it was not done in any spirit of unfriendliness to the north or at the spiriting of any southern partisans it was done at the urgency of friends of the north and in what was believed to be the interest of president lincoln's government it seems to us that in any case the recognition was fully justified the proclamation began by setting forth that hostilities had unhappily begun between the government of the united states and certain states styling themselves the confederate states of america before its issue fort sumter had been taken mr seward the new federal secretary of state had announced in a dispatch that insurgents had instituted revolution with open flagrant deadly war and that the united states had 
accepted this civil war as an inevitable necessity many days before the proclamation was issued the new york chamber of commerce had stated that secession had culminated in war and the judges of the higher courts had decided that a state of war existed under such circumstances it seems hardly possible to contend that england was bound by any principle of law international or other to withhold her recognition with the proclamation of neutrality on the part of her majesty's government began curiously enough the long diplomatic controversy which was carried on between this country and the united states the correspondence spreads over years it is maintained principally by earl russell mr adams american minister to london and mr seward american secretary of state the diplomatic correspondence is conducted as might be expected with unvarying courtesy and with at least the outward expression of good temper but it deepens sometimes in tone and earnestness so that any reader can see that it is reaching attention not likely to be long kept up more than once it becomes evident that the states thus represented are on the verge of a serious quarrel the impression on the part of the united states evidently is all throughout that england is the concealed and bitter enemy of the union and is seizing every possible opportunity to do it harm the first cause of dispute is the recognition of belligerent rights then there comes the seizure of the confederate envoys in the trent which england could not permit and which apparently the public of the united states could not forgive her for not being able to permit and thus putting them in the wrong far more serious as a cause of quarrel was the career of the alabama and her kindred vessels the mexican expedition was a grievance to the north connected as it was with the supposed inclination of the english government to follow the promptings of the french emperor and concede to the southern confederates their actual recognition as an independent state it is necessary to endeavour to follow the course of public opinion in england and ascertain if possible the meaning of its various changes let it be firmly stated at the outset as a matter of justice that it was not any feeling of sympathy with slavery which influenced so many englishmen in their support of the south no real evidence exists of any change in public opinion of that kind it is true that sometimes a heated champion of the south did when driven to bay for argument contend that after all perhaps slavery was not quite so bad a thing as people fancied the times did once venture to suggest that the scriptures contained no express interdiction of slavery but no great stress even there was laid upon such an argument and it might be doubted whether the opinion of any rational man on the slavery question was changed in this country by sympathy with the south on the contrary strange as it may seem at first the dislike of many englishmen to the slave system converted them first into opponents of the north and next into partisans of the south an impression got abroad that the northern statesmen were not sincere in their reprobation of slavery and that they only used the arguments and the feeling against it as a means of endeavouring to crush the south many englishmen could not understand 
some of them perhaps would not understand that a northern statesman might very well object to breaking up the union in order to put down slavery and might yet when an enemy endeavoured to destroy the union make up his mind with perfect consistency that the time had come to get rid of the slave system once for all the statesmen of the north were not to be classed as abolitionists not many men in office or likely just then to be in office were professed opponents of slavery most of them regarded it as a very objectionable institution which the southern states had unfortunately inherited which no one would think of introducing then if it had not been introduced before but which nevertheless it was not worth risking a national convulsion for the sake of trying to root out at once they would have been willing to trust to time and education and all the civilizing processes for the gradual extinction of the system many of them had even known so many good and kindly southern slave owners that they could not feel a common hatred for all the upholders of the unfortunate institution men like mr lincoln himself would have gladly kept to the union even though for the present and for some time to come union meant the toleration of slavery in the south End of section 28